All right. Well, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, if you will. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. And then the Pharisees and Sadducees came and testing him, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. And when he had said to them, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them, and he departed. Well, here we are. We're standing on the eve of New Year's together here at Calvary. We're, we're looking now into 2024. It sounds kind of strange when you say it, doesn't it? 2024. It's hard to believe. Here we are, 2024. As Jesus walked through the earth, various signs were given to those around to display that he was the Messiah. Of course, turning water to wine, healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the blind to see, the deaf to hear. And yet, the Sadducees and the religious Pharisees at that time, who were diametrically opposed to one another, their theology was quite contrary to one another, were able to unite together to confront what they believed was a common enemy, that is Jesus. Questioning him and testing him once again, they asked the question, show us a sign from heaven. Do something spectacular. Now, think about that for a moment. All the things that Jesus had already done up until that point were obviously insufficient for them, and they still needed more proof. And then he points to the fact that they could discern the weather by looking at the sky. If the sky is red in the evening, you'll have a nice day the next day. If the sky is red and threatening in the morning, you know that day is going to be troublesome going to be difficult. They were looking for a sign to confirm his identity. After everything he provided, the 300-some prophecies that he fulfilled, they still didn't get it. You know, we have signs everywhere pointing us in various directions, communicating to us various messages. We are surrounded by various signs. I stopped counting on the way to church today how many signs I had to pass just from driving from my home to here. There's always a sign trying to communicate something to you. And after a while, you just dismiss them. You just kind of drive by them. I mean, you can't even drive down the highways without seeing all kinds of lewd signs, can you? Driving from Chicago into Indiana, you would think that the only thing that exists in our state are uh, adult clubs, okay, pornographic places, and then once you enter into Indiana, all they have is fireworks, okay? Interesting. All kinds of signs. 
I'll never forget when I went tubing with my friends down a river, thinking it's going to be a, just a easygoing, you know, uh, what do they call lazy river type of experience in the tube, you know, if you've ever gone to a water park. My wife loves the lazy river. You know, she can sit in the tube and very little energy is expended, okay? I always have trouble getting in. I fall out, I have to get back in, I get a kid bumping into me in the back saying, come on, big guy, move it, you know. So I thought that we were going to just have this lazy stroll down the river. And as we were traveling down the river, all of a sudden there was a sign on the side of the river. Rough waters ahead. Great. That's the last thing you want to see in a river when you're in this little tiny tube, okay? And it was a, a kind of a dry summer, so the river was shallower than normal, all right? And let me tell you, that sign was an understatement, and <laughs> it was hard driving home four hours because my, my rear end found every rock along the way, okay? So I ask you this morning, as we enter into 2024, what is the sign above the beginning of this new year? What is 2024 going to bring us? The reason I bring this up this morning is because there are many who are more educated, more intelligent than I that are very concerned about this upcoming year. And today, as we stand at the end of 2023, we look now into 2024 and there are so many events that could possibly play out in the next several months that could really change the impact of our society. Now you may think, well, okay, Pastor Eric, you're being a little melodramatic, all right? You're, you're being a little bit yeah, over the top, okay, sensationalism here, really? On Christmas Eve, on Face the Nation, on CBS, a prominent reporter named Catherine uh, Herridge, an investigative reporter for CBS, when her time came and she was being asked amongst the panel what she expected from 2024, she said something that took her other panelists by surprise. Now, before we get there, I want to back up for a moment. Because just prior to this, an article came out in the Christian Post, and it caught my eye because of the title of the argument. And the title of the article, I said argument, article was End Time Beliefs Shape How Christians Act in Their Daily Lives, Eschatology Expert Says. Say. That expert was one of my, um, a professor that I really respect. His name is Dr. Daryl Bach from Dallas Theological Seminary. I actually took a class from him online interacted with him a little bit via, via the internet. He's a brilliant man. 
He's one individual that is called on upon various newscasts to authenticate biblical discoveries. He's an expert in the book of Luke and Acts, and he also speaks to the subject of eschatology. And in it, he said something very interesting in this article, and I'd like to read it to you. Because it directly addresses why we here at Calvary talk about eschatology. Now, I'll be honest with you. There are many who believe that we focus on it too much. And they'll say, well, all we have to do is simply love people. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. But do you know how much of the Bible speaks of prophecy? Over one-third of it. One-third of the Bible speaks of prophecy, his first and second coming. His first coming, there were 300 prophecies, some, 333 most uh, uh, approximate. His second coming, over 600. Jesus rebuked the religious leaders for not recognizing his first coming and gave us double the amount of prophecies concerning his second coming. So I think that as you go through the scriptures, it's important just to take them as they come. And we are living in times like we have never seen before. Would anybody disagree with me on that? The world stage is like we have never seen it before. Dr. Daryl Bach said this, and I thought this was very bold of him to say this. Bach warned that by not wanting to learn details about the end times, some Christians are missing some things that you need to know and understand and appreciate in order to understand who you're supposed to be now. As we're looking at who we are in Christ, understanding our identity as God has created us, Dr. Darrell Bach makes the statement, that to understand who we are supposed to be today and what we are supposed to be doing now is dependent on our view of eschatology, the study of the last days. And then he went on to write, he said, In fact, the failure to understand where eschatology takes us probably makes us more nervous in this time than we're more likely to make mistakes, meaning that if we know what the Bible says about the days in which we live, we will have a security in an insecure uh, world that will allow us to weather the storms that we may see on the horizon. He's saying that it gives us an assurance that even though things may seem out of control from our perspective, and the world is going in a direction and changing in ways that we never anticipated in our lifetime. Oh, theoretically, we thought, oh, yes, these things could happen, but we didn't, I think, expect them to happen now. But they are happening now. And they are happening at a rate that seems to be accelerating. Things are changing around us. And I believe that what we are seeing are the birth pangs beginning that will eventually lead to the return of Jesus Christ. Now back to this Face the Nation article 
or interview that took place on Christmas Eve. And she stated, Catherine Herridge predicted what is known to be a black swan event in 2024. She says, the United States is fertile ground for our adversaries. In the interview, she stated, CBS News investigative reporter Catherine Heritage said, she is worried that a black swan event will rock the nation in 2024 as foreign adversaries try to capitalize on the weakened, divided state of our nation. She went on to say, I just feel a lot of concern that 2024 may be the year of a black swan event. This is a national security event with high impact that is very hard to predict. As she openly stated that on Face the Nation. If you watch the interview, you will see that the panelists that she was with, their faces changed. And I believe it's due to the fact that she was saying out loud what they were all thinking. And she's not the only one. There are brilliant historians such as Victor David Hansen, who is incredibly concerned about 2024. Now you may be asking, well, what is a black swan event? A black swan event is a high-impact event that is difficult to predict under normal circumstances, but that in retrospect appears to have been inevitable. A black swan event is unexpected and therefore difficult to prepare for, but is often rationalized with the benefit of hindsight as having been unavoidable. Meaning if you're looking for it, the signs are there, warning us. The 2008 financial collapse was a black swan event. But do you know that there were men who capitalized on the Great Recession? Michael Beery uh, is one of them, who saw that the you know, mortgage-backed securities were faulty and that these were being sold as AAA when in actuality they were subprime. And he shorted these things, these stocks and banks, and made millions and billions doing so. People saw it because they were looking for the signs. The COVID-19 pandemic was absolutely televised before it came about, with exercises taking place where they actually used COVID-19 as the determinant factor or the disease in which they were preparing to counter and let me encourage you, if you have some time off this week, to watch a documentary that has just come out that is startling concerning the pandemic. It's called The Fall of Minneapolis. Talks about how many lies we were given and told. And may I include even the event with George Floyd that sparked the riots of 2020. Oh, by the way, let us not forget that the riots that we saw, and let us call them what they are, they were riots, was during a presidential election year. 
2024, we are entering into what could be the most divisive election ever in the history of the United States of America. It is clear that whoever wins this next election, it will be contested over and over and over again. Be prepared. But according to Catherine, what did she believe could take place and what did she see occurring that would lead her to believe that this black swan event could take place. She sees, like others, that the United States of America is in a weakened condition. From our top down. And as a result, because of the fact of the role that we play in the world, our adversaries are looking to take advantage of our weakened condition. We're weakened militarily, economically, politically, socially. We are weakened as a nation. We are truly reaping what we have been sowing for many decades. But the number one scenario that people see being played out in the United States of America in the next few months is a large-scale cyber attack. A cyber attack that will cripple the most fundamental elements of our society. This is where they believe we are the most vulnerable. To top it off, at the beginning of December, a movie was released on Netflix called Leave the World Behind. In this movie, they painted the picture for us of what a cyber attack would look like getting the conversation started of what could possibly happen next. What would happen if a cyber attack took place? And in this movie, they depicted what was a varied stage, a three-stage event. And then, of course, after the movie was released... Experts weighed in on the possibility of such events. When my daughter and I were watching it, and I cannot recommend it because there's a lot of language in it that is inappropriate, but because of the subject matter, I thought it was interesting. My daughter and I talked for about, about it after a while because we said, is it possible? In the movie, they showed how the cyber attack proceeded in a number of steps. The steps involved shutting down the means of communication, transportation, the financial systems, and turning off public utilities like electricity and gas. Now think about that for a moment. If the electricity went off, how much of our society would come to a screeching halt? In the film, the next step was causing misinformation and pitting different sides against each other and attack society in a strategic way. These stages fed off of the fact that, that when it was not clear who was actually attacking, uh, who was actually the attacking party, people within the country will fight amongst themselves. 
And the last stage may or may not involve a coup d'etat or an invasion. So, they disrupt us through a cyber attack, our most basic functions in life, turning ourselves one against the other, defeating our, defeating our nation, not from without, but from within, is what they are suggesting in this movie. So the experts were asked, could such an attack be possible concerning the growth of cyber crimes that target financial infrastructure and military sectors, experts believe it is very likely that it is be possible to carry out a wide-ranging attack like a fire sale. It's possible, possibly just a matter of time before a large-scale version of such an attack is attempted. Oh, and here's the kicker. It was produced by Barack and Michelle Obama. What do they know that we don't? Very interesting. It's also good to know that Julia Roberts is working again. No, just kidding. Unbelievable. Cyber attacks are real. One cybersecurity company said that the average cyber attack, take, there are 2,200 cyber attacks per day, per day in the United States. This includes personal, corporate, utilities, and government systems. When a, a cyber attack happens every 38 seconds on average. In the U.S., a data breach costs on average $9.5 million to correct. It is predicted to cost $8 trillion by 2030. This is our great vulnerability. And this is where people are looking to to see where our weakness will be taken advantage of. But there's a second. And this is one David, uh, Victor David Hansen is concerned about. Victor David Hansen is a professor. He was with Stanford and other high uh, Ivy League schools. He's a classic historian. He's conservative. And he is greatly concerned that what we will see here in the United States of America is civil unrest like we have never seen before in 2024, either preceding or succeeding the election in November. This time, he is concerned that it won't be Antifa that will come forward, but this time, as we would call them, patriots coming forward. Now think about it. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. I want to show you a video of the summation of Victor Hansen's uh, summation of the United States of America and where we are currently at to describe why there are angry Americans. They were once called by Nixon the silent majority who are now becoming so frustrated with the condition of our country. And many who realize that this frustration is growing, are attempting to disarm these individuals by registries, such as taking place here in, the United, in Illinois, of weapons. But David, uh, Victor David Hansen really summarizes well why we are as frustrated as we are and angry as we are, leading to what could be 
not simply civil unrest, but is it possible? Civil war? Let's take a look. The American dream was that you could say what you wanted. You had freedom of expression and lifestyle. If you worked hard and played by the so-called rules, then you prospered and you were secure. Tell that to somebody who's living in Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Washington, Memphis, Minneapolis. If you go into those cities, there's carjackings, there's mass looting, there's theft, there's human excrement on the sidewalk. You fill up your tank in California, it's 550 a gallon. You go in to buy something to wire your house, it's $120 for a roll of wire that used to cost 30. So Bidenomics really did a lot because suddenly we went from a 30-year mortgage of 1.9 to 7 plus. And on the basket of essentials for life, food, gas, energy, housing, we're up to about 25% more than when Biden took office. So what he does is he just pathologically lies. He just says, well, inflation's 2% from last month or from me. No, no, it's from when you started. And then he says, well, I brought more jobs. No, you started when there was the COVID lockdown and people had been laid off in the millions and it just as a natural rebound. And you made it worse by engineering the economy when you had, you know, pent up demand and we had the supply chain and you poured money onto that and gave more purchasing power to people who already had it and you ruined the currency. So when you look at energy, check, bad. You look at housing, interest rates, check, bad. You look at inflation, check, bad. You look at crime, check, bad. You look at the border, check, bad. And that causes a general feeling of malaise and depression. The most common thing that I hear if, I, if I'm going somewhere and somebody wants to talk, they say, what happened to the country? What the hell happened to the country? When did Americans say that you could go into an Apple store and just steal and you would be exempt? Or when did, when did Americans say that people could come from the Middle East and disrupt Thanksgiving or tear down flags on Veterans Day or try to disrupt Black Friday shopping? or take over bridges, or scout out and harass and try to harm Jewish students at our universities. Weren't they guests? Aren't we their host? Is that how they reciprocate our magnanimity? So they, there's a lot of things that bother them. And they look at overseas and they're tired of wars and they don't want optional engagements. So they get depressed and they say to themselves, what did the leftists do with the power we gave them? And they flooded us with immigrants who don't like us. And they allowed crime to escalate to out of control proportions. And they hurt us economically. And they humiliated us abroad, whether in Afghanistan or other places, Chinese balloon, China, etc. And they're angry about it. So they're starting to say, these people did this to us. And they're shielded from the consequences of their ideology because they're all wealthy. They count on their influence and their money and their networking to shield them from the crime they created, from the cost, uh, costly inflation they created, from the housing crisis they created. So people are getting really angry at them. 
and they lash out. And that doesn't help when the academic world and the media world calls them drags and clingers and deplorables and irredeemables, chumps, semi-fascist. When you have Joe Biden saying, "Let's it's Thanksgiving, we're the greatest nation in the world, we've got to unite, man. While well, he sends out a little manifesto to how to talk to your ultra MAGA people at Thanksgiving, which is just a litany of lies and disparagements. I think the immigration is really starting to alarm people. And for me, it's bewildering because I wrote Mexifornia 22 years ago. But when you allow millions of people to come from one geographical area without diversity, without meritocracy, without skills, and come without English and come illegally, then you have a recipe for disaster. And the only way to remedy that if you're still going to do that, would be to have a confident host that insists on assimilation and integration. But when you have the left, the European and American, or indeed Western left, and their whole rationale for this is nobody wants our agenda. Nobody polls 51% for what we're doing on the border or crime or the economy or foreign policy or energy. So we need new constituents. And when they come in, we give them entitlements and we make them swear fealty to the left. And if you think that's just, oh, he Victor's a advocate of Tucker Carlson's great replacement. No, it's I'm just quoting what they wrote themselves, the new demographic, the new democratic majority, demography is destined. These are titles of books by the left in triumphalist fashion. I, I guess what I'm saying is that this new phenomenon that we we're bringing in millions of people because the left wants a constituency because its message is no longer resonant it doesn't work and everybody on the left knows it doesn't work and we saw what happened at martha's vineyard and then the weird thing is when people protest on the left all of a sudden <laughs> if you protest if you're a leftist and you protest and you are kind of a crook which is okay with the left Look what happens to Eric Adams. All of a sudden, we learned that he's getting illegal campaign donations. They knew that for years from Turkey, but they had no problem with that. But you cross them, like Elon Musk is another example. You just cross them. They had no problem with Elon Musk. He was their hero because of Tesla. And you cross them one time, and they, they're vindictive people. So what's weird about all this, just to sum up this I don't want to rant, but what is strange about this is this is different. This is fundamentally, psychologically, socially, economically, culturally different than our past crisis. When you had the Great Depression, when you had the 2008 meltdown, everybody understood there had been a lapse, a breakdown, and it had to be corrected. This time, it's different because this is a self-inflicted suicidal impulse in which when crime goes up, the old remedy of arresting people for crime and greater is not there. And when gas prices go up, that's good, not bad. When we get humiliated abroad, we'll keep getting humiliated abroad. So it's a whole fundamental effort to redefine what the United States is by destroying it. It really is. I thought that was one of the best summarizations of what we see happening in our country. Now we can pretend like it's not happening, 
but I think we would be foolish if we did. We could be like the beloved ostrich and put our head in the sand and say, oh, it's not happening, but it is happening. And if we allow it to continue to happen, where will we be in four more years? Now, in April of this coming year, a movie is coming out entitled Civil War. There should be the slide behind me. And in this movie, if you go online to see the trailer of it, it is pretty frightening. There is a theory, and I'm going to throw this out at you. It's called pre-programming. Have you ever heard of this theory before? Pre-programming is the specific design of releasing certain bits of entertainment for the purpose of conditioning society for what is about to happen next. Now, as I stated earlier, the concern that uh, Victor Davis Hansen, uh, corrected me, uh, Davis Hansen has, is that it's not going to be Antifa this time, but it will be the Patriots standing up this time. In the last three years, Middle America has armed themselves like we have never seen before in our histories, the na our, our nation's history. And I'm telling you, the temperament of the people are not going to be as receptive and as passive as they were in 2020. We see we are being lied to on every front. This, war, this movie, Civil War, I think is only going to exasperate that. I think it is going to get people thinking about the possibility. Now you think, well, this could never happen again in our society. There is the problem. The last time a major president, Republican president was removed from ballads in the United States of America was in 10 states in 1860, and his name was Abraham Lincoln. After being removed from the ballads, in 1861, the Civil War began. If we do not learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. I don't personally care how you view President Trump. But let's agree that removing a man from a ballot due to the crime of insurrection, which he has never been convicted of in the United States of America, is a complete distortion of justice. We have seen our most fundamental institutions weaponized against those who disagree. From the FBI going after parents who would question school boards, to individuals being arrested. The January 6th thing was one of the greatest farces that the United States has ever seen. Doors were opened, people were led in, and then they were held without, with their constitutional rights absolutely ignored. Now we can hide and we can say these things aren't happening but they are happening. They're still being held. Guys, our nation is changing. Interesting that even people who wouldn't identify as conservative are starting to ask questions. 
A report came out, this, an article came out in the New York Times this week, yes, the New York Times, from a reporter who is saying, stating, I don't think it's ever going to go back to the way it was. Well, I'm glad she finally realized that. But do you know that you were part of it? Your paper was part of it? Our Constitution is hanging on a thread here in the United States of America. I know that's a big statement. But think about what's happening in our nation today and ask us, ask yourself, the only thing that is currently protecting us is the Constitution of the United States of America. Oh, we don't have time to get into the others such as economic recession, central bank digital currency, or the current evolution of AI. We don't have time to get into that, but all of these things are on the horizon. The financial community is absolutely betting that AI will be the next big thing to invest in. Probably so. But again, no one is prepared for the implications that AI could you know, propose or impose upon our society. Now, I don't say these things to scare you, but to prepare you. Because let me tell you, do you know others are preparing themselves, but in a much different way than we as Christians should be preparing ourselves? Have you been reading about the number of billionaires around the world that are creating bunkers in their homes? Of course, Mark Zuckerberg and his $1 million mansion on the island of Kauai, I think it is, is putting in a 5,000 square foot bunker in his home. He's only one of many. Sam Altman is also. Who are buying island property. Johnny Depp has already also. And in their mansions, they are building shelters in which they can hunker down in in case something is going to occur. But see, individuals who don't know the Lord would prepare in such a way, right? I need to protect myself. I need to protect my fortune. I need to protect who I am because I believe I am so important to the fabric of our society. So I'm going to hide in my hole. But as Christians, God's not telling us to retreat, but to move forward. If 2023 was the warm-up, 2024 is when we push forward. Because I believe the world is being set in a position like never before. And I'm going to give you some things, three things that I want you to consider to help prepare yourself for 2024. And it's not going to be what you think. I'm not going to tell you to go store food. Okay? I'm not going to tell you to go arm yourself to the teeth. I'm not going to say buy gold and silver. Because let us all remember that we're part of a bigger kingdom. And our king is on the throne. And this is not our home. We are mere pilgrims passing through. The very first thing that we as Christians for 2024 need to do and commit to this morning is prayer. Notice what the Bible says in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and what? Pray. And pray. That's where it begins. We need to pray. If you really want to take the battle to the enemy, if you're tired of the nonsense, 
then we must earnestly begin to examine our prayer lives as individual Christians and seek His face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal their land. We need that now more than ever, don't we? This instruction is not to the people of the world, but it is to you and I. We need to pray. We need to seek His face. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent of our sins. That's our second step. First, we need to pray. Then we need to repent. Because I think many of us need to be reminded of the words of Jesus that are found in Revelation chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. When Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. We need to repent, guys, because I'm going to say something to you. You might not like this. The condition of our world is partly our faults as Christians. Why? Because for decades we've been retreating. We've been giving social and secular institutions over to the world. We've been hiding in our Christian subcultures. Like, to me, that's like hiding in a bunker and waiting for the storm to pass. We've disengaged from conversations with people around us. We've avoided the world. We've created the scenario of us and them, forgetting that we too were just like those folks who didn't know the Lord until the grace of God got a hold of our hearts. We need to re-engage. We need to be once again actively involved in the pursuit of evangelism. Why do I say that? Because that's number three. We need to be evangelistically minded when we go out and enter into this world. We need to remember that this is the mission field that God has us in. Just this week, Dean and I took a ride out to one of our favorite little pizza places. And it was a, it was a cold evening and we were sitting in this little place and we were ha- enjoying a pizza together and we had this young gal serving us and she was, as my wife would say, a hoot. She was a hoot. Dean and I were looking at the servers there and we're like, wow, they look like they're 12 years old and this young lady was 19. She was 19. I'm like, you know, she said to me, uh, you know, wow, I guess guess we're getting older. I go, maybe you are, you know. But in the course of our evening out, we interacted with her. She was very pleasant. She was fun. You could tell her maybe she grew up with brothers. She had that kind of uh, personality. And at the end, you know, Dean and I like to bless people, and so we blessed her in a way financially. And she was shocked, mesmerized by it. But it led to a conversation like it always does. And we started talking, and Dean asked her if she had a Bible, and we started telling her about the Lord. But the very first thing out of her mouth was this. She goes, you know, I I don't think about religion. I didn't grow up religious. I I go, 
Her only contact with uh, Christianity was the local thrift store that was run by Christians and that they have free Bibles as you leave. That was her only contact. She says, the last time I was at church was for a funeral. And she said, yeah, and then there was a a baptism I went to, but I don't know anything about it. It's a 19-year-old young girl. And she goes, but you know what? I got to be honest with you. She said, the world is so screwed up. I don't know if there's any hope whatsoever. And I said to myself, if more people feel like her, we have an opportunity like never before to give them, as Mark just alluded to, stole my punchline, real hope in Jesus Christ. And I want you to write this down, if you will. Her name is Isabella, 19 years old. And I want you to pray for her. Because have you noticed, and maybe you haven't heard, but in the last three or four months since we've really been talking about evangelism, a number of people have accepted Jesus as their Savior, either directly or indirectly through the folks of our church. See, I think the fields are white for harvest. And I think we need to be ready and available with the gospel of Jesus Christ in 2024. How are we going to overcome evil? The Bible tells us clearly how we overcome evil. By good. By doing good. And there's nothing more powerful than the gospel. For Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. These are the great commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and in the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And know this, we are not alone in this endeavor. In Acts 1.8, God promises us, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And in 1 Peter 3, verse 15, notice this. In the context of this quote, he is talking about one who is persecuted for the faith. He says, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you a reason for what? The hope that is in you. And do it with meekness and fear. And lastly, I give you this. And this is our marching orders for 2024 here at Calvary. As Paul wrote, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. Yeah, I am praying for a revolution in America. Not a military one, but one where Jesus Christ is at the center of it. And we may not see a big revival as we have seen in the past possibly, but just think that if every single one of us would take an opportunity to share the gospel with individuals that we know and love, who don't know the Lord, think how impactful they could be. 
Jesus turned the whole world upside down with 12 individuals. How much more can we do in 2024? Again, we don't say these things to scare you, but to prepare you. Because unlike the billionaires of this world, I am not going to hide in a hole. I'm going to let the light shine in a dark world and see what Jesus will do in and through it. I don't know about you, but I think God's getting ready to really move. He loves it when the odds are stacked against his people and his church. You know why? Because then he gets all the glory for all that happens next. Remember this, that even the gates of hell shall not prevail against my church, says the Lord. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this time together. And as we about to enter into 2024, Lord, I don't know what's going to happen. Only you do. But there are concerns. And people are acting on their concerns. They're sharing their concerns openly and publicly. They're spending their money on preparing for their concerns. We don't know what's going to happen between now and November. We don't know what's going to take place. But we know in our hearts that it isn't going to be a politician that's going to change the direction of this country. It's going to be you and only you. So Father, let us be on the forefront of what you are doing. Let us be bold, Lord, with a boldness that only you can provide for us in and through the power of your Spirit. Let us not retreat, but let us stand with resolve and move forward. Father, let us stand for the gospel. Let us remind people that Jesus Christ loved them and died for them. And that, Father, if they will turn to him, they can receive the greatest gift that they could ever possibly imagine. New life in and through you. So, Father, we pray for our church as we face challenges, as we look for you to move and to provide. We pray, Lord, that we would be about your business in this time. And we ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand for our closing song.